Our scripture reading this morning is selected verses from chapter 14 of Exodus. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Piah-Hiroth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea, for Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land, the wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land. And the waters were divided, and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all the Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all of the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. This is God's word. Thank you. Uh, good morning. Uh, my name is Tony Elswick. I'm one of the missionaries on your handout, uh, and it is a pleasure to be here today. Uh, it's a pleasure for a couple of reasons. The first one is because we love being here. This is our, our home church. And uh, so it's always fun to be back. You guys do a great job uh, loving your missionaries and caring for them. And so, so it is uh, great to be back among you guys. And uh, I would encourage you guys really this year to, um, to make it a point to, to write letters, care for, especially the savants uh, and Allie as she's pregnant, about to have another child. Because I can say that you know, some of these big life moments that happen on the field where you really end up feeling uh, very lonely and separated from your family. Uh, so I'd encourage you guys to, to be reaching out to them uh, as they go through this joyous and also kind of mixed time from being away from family. But it's uh, a pleasure to be here for a, a second reason as well. And that's because I spent a part of the week stranded in Panama and uh, almost didn't make it. It was a little, a little touch and go there where I was going to have to, you know, reach out to Drew and say, uh, hey, do you know who's preaching? Because it's not going to be me. Um, but luckily that, that didn't happen. Uh, so what happened was we, we spent uh, a week in Nicaragua closing out our house there uh, to move to Panama. Actually, if, if you would like to hear more about 
kind of what we're doing, what our work's going to be, how we're changing. Next Saturday, we're having a little ice cream social uh, from 2 to 4 in the Fellowship Hall. We'd, we'd love to have you guys come, uh, even if you just want to go and have ice cream and then zone, zone me out. That's fine, too. Um, but we'd love to have you there. But so we, we packed up our house in Panama or Nicaragua, and we sent it to Panama, and then I flew by myself to Panama to meet the stuff and to move it into storage until we're able to get down there. Uh, it was supposed to arrive on Monday, and I was supposed to fly back on Wednesday, but it got stuck, as it would, uh, in customs for a few days, ended up missing my flight, and uh, luckily I was able to come back late Friday night and still be able to make it and be here today, but you know, it was a it was an interesting time waiting, waiting for our stuff to come back or come there. Because, you know, in, international moves can be hard. They can be difficult. They oftentimes have, have complications. And it's true for us, and it was true for the Israelites, right? So because they're in the midst of their international move. They were in Egypt. God frees them from Egypt, and they're headed to the promised land. It starts great. People start giving them stuff, right? The Nicaraguans didn't do that to us, but, I mean, like, it, I guess it's nice when it happens, right? They just start giving them stuff. Hey, get out of here. And then they, they leave on their way, and then an army comes to destroy them. And, and that is a much worse complication than dealing with Panamanian customs, uh, I was glad not to have to face that. And, and so that's a story that we're going to be looking at today is the crossing of the Red Sea. Uh, there's some debate over, over the translation of the term Red Sea, whether it was really the Red Sea or if it should be the Reed Sea. Um, it, for our purposes today, it doesn't make a whole big difference because it was a large body of water that they had to cross or die. Uh, and so I'm going to refer to it as the Red Sea just because that's what we all know, right? That's just the easiest one. You remember Charleston Heston. You remember Prince of Egypt. We all got this one down, so that's what I'm going to be referring to. Um, but, it, but it was interesting as I was studying and praying and thinking about uh, how to uh, teach this text because everybody knows it. Uh, even a lot of unbelievers will know this from the movies. And there's this big question that comes up. is like, what does this really matter to me, right? What, what is it going to matter to you when you wake up on Tuesday morning that a long, long time ago in a place far, far away, there was a group of people stuck by the sea and they got to walk through on dry land, right? Because we all have issues. We all have things that are going to start crowding out our lives and bringing, bringing stress into our lives, Right, for us, I'm going to wake up on Tuesday, and we're, we're trying to get everything ready with the, with the thing on Saturday. We're trying to move to Panama. We're trying to do all the meetings we have to do and everything we have to do. I mean, what does it really matter? I mean, for you guys, you, for, it might be different, right? We're, we're in mid-February, so we're halfway through the first quarter of the year. Maybe you got some big sales deadlines you're supposed to make. This is a, a big time. You want to get the first quarter off, off right, and so, so you're stressed out about it. Maybe it's, it's your family, and you have, you have kids. You want, you want to raise them right. You want them to turn out perfect. You want everything to go well with them, so you're running around to different events trying to make everything work out well for them, and you're all stressed out about it. Maybe it's your, your future. 
and you're, you're thinking about retirement, and are you going to have the money to retire? Or, or you're, you're in high school, and you're thinking, am I going to get into the university I want to get into? Or what am I going to do when I graduate anyways? What, we have all this pressure and stress in our lives, and we say, what does it even matter? But, but here's the thing. When we have these major stresses in our lives, a lot of times it comes... Because these are areas where we have some control, but not all control, right? They're really important to us. And, and what we do makes a difference. And we, we almost can do anything we want, right? Like, you can be a really good salesman, a hard worker, and all that. And you think, I got this under my control. But the client has to want to buy. Right? There's something else that has to happen that's out of your control. You can be the best parent in the world. You can do everything that you're supposed to do, but not all of it's under your control because your child's like a person, right? I mean, like they have their opinions too, and they might not want your plan. And you're like, but I got a wonderful plan for your life. And they're like, yeah, I got my own plan. Right? You, you have almost all control. You're, you're looking towards retirement and you, you've invested, but you can't control the stock market. Right? There's things that are outside of our control. And in our day-to-day lives, those things that matter, that stress us out, that are out of our control, we start to do whatever it takes to get the end result that we desire. And we can lose our dependency, our trust, and our ability to rest in the Lord. And that's the same that was true for Israel. And that's what God's doing. He's, he's, he's showing them his, his big, big deliverance, his big power, so that when they get through the, the end of their move, right there in their international move, when they get to the promised land, and their lives start becoming day-to-day struggles, that they can depend on them. Right, because they worried about their finances too, right? The harvest had to come in or they didn't eat. And so they were concerned about that. And if, if they didn't trust God, what would they do? They would turn to idols and they would start doing the sacrifices, sometimes horrible sacrifices and service, whatever it takes to get what they wanted. They cared about their families too and they would, they would have to do whatever it took, their futures and all that. And there was this tendency to doubt God's provision and turn to the idols that can bring about what they want. Whatever it takes to get their desire And then God shows his power and his concern so that those things that we can't control, that stress us out, we can still rest and trust and maybe sometimes actually take a a whole Sabbath day of rest because we can trust that God is going to deliver us. So this passage has everything to do with Tuesday morning. So let's, let's take a look at it, uh, starting in verse 1. Uh, then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-haroth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. 
And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. And so here's what we see. We see that, that God is setting a trap. He's setting up this, this big theater, right? He's trying to, to shock the people of Israel out of their thinking of their mundane lives, right? That, that they can't do this, right? They're going to be stuck against the sea. They have these impossible odds. If God doesn't save us, we don't get saved, right? There, there's the sea. They're stuck. And he's setting a trap for the Egyptians. It's a classic rope-a-dope, right? It's, it's Admiral Akbar yelling, it's a trap. Right? He's going he's gonna to lead them in so that he can display his power. But the people of Israel weren't let in on the plan. Right? God spoke to Moses. He's, he's the one who knew what God was doing. The rest of them are looking around and saying, well, why are we stopped here, right? What, what are we doing here? They're confused too. They're worried too. They've got a sea on one hand. They got an army coming down for them on the other hand, and they just, they freak out, right? They start saying things like, were there not enough graves in Egypt that you had to take us out here to die, right? They're, they're worried. And I like to think that when hard times come in my life, that I'm not going to be like them, Oh, no, and I'm not going to be like those foolish, doubting Israelites. I'll keep my composure. I'll, you know, I'm going I'm to keep cool. I'm going to be like Moses, right? Except that's not at all what happens, right? Something goes wrong, and I freak out too. I, I went to Panama on Friday by myself, and I had to spend the week there by myself. And, and I don't know if you know this, but like I'm an extreme extrovert, I don't like being by myself. So, some people like a man just alone with his thoughts. I don't have that many thoughts, right? Like I got, I, I got a half hour, you know? I mean, uh, me and Amber will have a discussion. And I'll say, Amber, I just need to be alone for a minute. And that's not a figure of speech. That's the time I need to be alone. Just a minute and I'm done, right? And, and here I am in Panama, things aren't going right, and then isolated Tony comes out, and you don't want to meet isolated Tony, because things get dark real fast, right? So I'm starting to wonder, did they steal all my stuff, right? Like, is there a huge secondhand market for missionary stuff? I don't know. What's going on here? I, I, I even had this thought. Maybe I should rent a car and drive to the border and sort things out myself. What am I going to do? You know, they know a fool when they see one. If I end up at the border, they're going to start, you know, charging more fees. That's what they're going to do. Freaked out. God, were there not enough graves in Nicaragua that you had to bring me to Panama to waste away by myself in this hotel room? So things get dark because God wants to shock us out of, of our self-reliance. There is sometimes where there's nothing we can do. And then what happens, verse 21, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. 
And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. Right, so there they are. They're stuck. If God doesn't save, then nobody will. They're just dead. And then this east wind comes and makes a path through the sea, and they're saved. And it's amazing. And I think as Christians, a lot of times when we look at our lives, we can, we can miss the way that God has saved us because we just are thankful for an east wind, right? Like, like, could you imagine an Israelite walking through and at the other side, like, well, we're really lucky that wind blew last night, right? I mean, that, that was whew, perfect timing. What a, what a coincidence, right? I mean, that, that's, that's the way we can live our lives and, and miss out on, on, on seeing God's hand in our story. So they get to the other hand side, Egyptians, they're following through. And then it says in verse 26, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Uh, but not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord. And they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. They, they saw his great power and they feared him and they believed. This story is the Old Testament big story of deliverance. This was the, the, the apex. This was the monster thing that God did in saving his people. And it taught them that as they go through the rest of their lives and as they get to the promised land and as they're facing troubles, that they can be a people who can rely on God, that he is the deliverer for them. It was the big culturally defining moment for them. See, we have culturally defining moments too. Things that are in the story arc of the United States that, that become big and, and make up who we are. I, I think about how we responded to Pearl Harbor. Maybe you've, you've probably heard people talk about this, right? Uh, they bomb Pearl Harbor, and then America gets to work, right? We start building a fleet of ships and, and building tanks and sending out an army. And look, if we can do that, what can't we do? And you hear politicians talk about that all the time. That's the big story. We're the we-can-do-it people. We sent a man to the moon. That's our, our defining moment. But for Israel, the defining moment is we have a God who is big, who is in control of the world, but who intimately cares about us and will deliver us. And as they went through their lives, 
they reflect back time and time again on this moment. We see this in the Psalms, both when, when David's talking about his own personal problems as well as the big issues with Israel. For example, in Psalm 78, it says, In the sight of their fathers, he performed wonders in the land of Egypt, in the fields of Zon. He divided the sea and let them pass through it and made the waters stand like a heap. Psalm 106, yet he saved them for his namesake and, he, and that he might make known his mighty power. He rebuked the Red Sea and it became dry and he led them through the deep as through a desert. One of my favorite is Psalm 136 where he goes through and they're just naming all the amazing things that God has done to them, for them with, for his steadfast love endures forever. And so it says, to him who divided the Red Sea in two for his steadfast love endures forever and made Israel pass through the midst of it for his steadfast love endures forever but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea for his steadfast love endures forever to him who led his people through the wilderness for his steadfast love endures forever. See, this, this was their big moment. And they bring it back and they remind themselves time and time again that their God saves them. That they have this mighty God who is both big and powerful but active in their lives. And it was true for the people of Israel in the day of Egypt and it's true for us today as well. I was reminded of this uh, when I think about the story of Martine. Martine is... Uh, the worship leader at a church that we do work with. Uh, some of you, if you came on the team, you have actually might have met him and his family. So uh, on the team, we broke up into three groups and we did home visits. And this was one of the houses that we visit because they're a special family to us. So, you know, as missionaries, we have favorites and uh, they're among our favorites. Uh, and so he's a great guy, and one of the things that, that kind of stands out in his family is that they have a daughter who has a, a mental disability. Uh, they think that it, she had some brain damage from having uh, an elevated fever that they couldn't break for a long time, and so, so they're not sure exactly, but that's, that's what they think. And in Nicaragua, that's, that's a huge burden. That's, I mean, it's a huge burden uh, anywhere, but it is a particular burden in Nicaragua because a lot of times it creates a social stigma where people will say, well, you're that way because you're cursed, right? And so, so a lot of times the fathers will leave. But in this case, Martin, he didn't leave his family. He stayed there with them. And he has this special, sweet relationship with his daughter. And, and they're just a great family. We, we love to go there. And whenever we're there, we like to bring them food and, and help them out. And so, so I got to go in August. Uh, that was our first time, my first time back in Nicaragua after the crisis. And I got to take him some food. And then a few weeks later, I get a text from a friend of mine in that church who said that uh, Martin got shot in the head. And so what happened was this. He, he's a caretaker of this land. There's this field and there's multiple fields like around where there's caretakers on it. But in the chaos of what was going on, uh, squatters came and they took over some of the lands. So they didn't take Martin's land, but they took the neighbor's land. And they were having some conflict with the neighbor's son. And so they shot the son, and Martin saw that. He goes, he picks up the son, and he's trying to take him to safety, and they keep shooting, and they shoot him in the head. 
And so the family rushes out, and they, they, they grab Martin, and they take him to the hospital. And the first hospital says, there's nothing we can do. Maybe try this other place. And so they take him to the second hospital, and they say, there's nothing we can do. And they try to get the wife to sign his death certificate so that they can take him to the morgue. But she's on the phone with her church. The church knew about what was going on, and they, they were praying for him. And they said to the wife, listen, we're not praying for you. We're praying for him. So put the phone to his ear, and we're going to pray for him. So they put the phone to his ear, and something happened. Right now, he, now here's the deal, right? Like, I don't know if Martine was dead. I don't know if it's a princess bride kind of thing, and he was just mostly dead. Right? I don't know if he was just almost dead. But I know that they wanted to put him in the morgue. They prayed for him, and something happened. Some blood clots came out. He started to move, and they decided to do the surgery. But they said to her, there's a 3% chance that this works. And if it works, he's going to be a vegetable for the rest of his life. And look, medical care in Nicaragua is not that great. Right? So when they give you a prognosis like that, it's serious. But we got to go and got to go visit his family in December. We have a picture of the family. If you can put the picture. And, look, and that's Martine in the middle, right? And he is no vegetable, right? He can walk. He can take care of himself. He can speak. I mean, he's still recovering. It was a traumatic injury, right? And God works through means. There's an, there's an east wind. But look, they wanted to him to sign the death certificate and put him in the morgue. But God said, I'm the deliverer. So in Martin's life, there's going to be times where he faces difficulties. Right? There's going to be times where he, he faces more struggles. But what is he going to do? He's going to remember what God did. He's going to remember his deliverance. And the people in that church, they're going to go through hard times. But what are they going to do? They're going to remember their deliverance. They're going to remember that they serve a God who is mighty and powerful, but who intimately cares about them and can deliver them. I hope you remember that too. I hope that you take time to create for yourself a personal Psalm 136, right? Where, where you write out and think through some of the amazing things, some of the amazing ways that God has, has delivered you in the past. That you, you think it through, not just, not just looking at the natural means, the east winds, but looking at the God who caused it. How has he saved you? Include things like the Red Sea crossing, right? Because that's part of your story. Include Martine, right? That's it's part of your story now too. But what about the ways that he's delivered you that shows that his steadfast love endures forever? But maybe you're thinking, I don't really have anything like that in my life, right? Like certainly nothing like Martine. I mean, that would be pretty nice to be able to see something like that. But I'm here to let you know that if you're in Christ, if you're a believer, then you have a Red Sea story. You have a major miracle. Your salvation is that miracle. And, and I know, because I've been in church long enough, 
that that's the time where everybody rolls their eyes hard, right? Because you're like, yeah, sure, that's a big deal, but like, uh, Martin, that was, I mean, that's, that's a big deal. The Red Sea, that was a big deal. I mean, sometimes when we talk about salvation as a major miracle, it's kind of like when you read Harry Potter and they say love is the strongest magic, and you're like, yeah, but you know what else is kind of cool? Being able to, like, make things float, right? Like, that's, like, this is pretty awesome too, right? I mean, nobody goes to Hogwarts to learn to love, it's not even a class. I've read the book. They don't offer it. But I want to help you feel the reality of the miracle that is your salvation. So in Nicaragua, when you stop at a red light, uh, something happens. There's people who come up and they want to wash your window and you're supposed to pay them some money for doing that. And sometimes, most of the time, it's fine. But sometimes, you know, you've had your window washed five times that day. Uh, you, you don't want it done anymore. You don't have any money to give them. Uh, and, and you're just like, I, I don't, I don't want to be bothered with this. And so you're trying to communicate to them through the windshield and to tell them no, right? And you can shake your head, but that doesn't work, right? They, they don't care about that. I mean, they understand it because Nicaraguans shake their head no all the time. But they don't respect it, right? They're like, Okay, you're going to get your window washed. So you have to do the no finger, right? So you take your finger and you shake it back and forth like this. And this is, they do this and they respect that, right? That's, that's what they do. But there's a direct correlation between the amount of effort you put into saying no and the power that you have. So that the more effort you put into the no, the less power it is, right? So the guy comes up to your window, and you're exhausted, and you're like, no! And they're like, this guy, this guy's a chump, right? They see this, you've got no power. They're going to wash your window, and you're going to pay them. You're going to pay them in dollars because you got nothing else when you're doing like this. But you look him in the eyes, and you go, just, just a little flick. And you're like, I don't. I don't even know. If you blink, you miss it. But they don't miss it, right? Because that, that's a man with power, right? Like just, just, just a little bit of the back off. So when you think about God's miracles, right, and you picture God on the throne, how much effort did he put into his miracles? Right, when you think about creation, how much effort did he put into creation? No, he just spoke, right? Let there be light. Boom, light. Let there be animals. Boom, animals. Right? No, no big deal. He wants to send an angel to lead the people, you know, with the cloud by day and the fire at night. He's like, angel. Huh. Right? Like in Nicaragua, sometimes they don't even use their finger. They use their lips, right? They, you know, hmm. Yeah. Go. Like, like you think they're making kissy face. They're not. They're just pointing. So he's like, angel. Hmm. And then angel goes, does what he commands. Right? He wants to send the east wind. He's like, east wind. And boom, it happens, right? There is no effort at all on God's part. But your salvation, your salvation took effort. Because God had to get off his throne and come be born as a man. And live a perfect life and go to the cross. When God created the heavens and the earth, he didn't break a sweat, but he sweat blood for you in the garden. 
When God wanted to part the Red Sea, it took no effort at all. It was no struggle. But he had to bend under the cross as he carries it up the Via Dolorosa to his death for you. Throughout all the miracles of the Old Testament, God is sitting in perfect harmony, in peace, in joy, in heaven. But on the cross, when he took your sins, your specific sins, he gets cut off from the Father and he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Your salvation, that cost him. But he came and he died and he rose again and he defeated sin and death. So that while there'll be millions and millions of people in hell for eternity, it won't be you. Why? Because it's a miracle. This is your Red Sea. This is, this is your big deal. This is the miracle. So I'd encourage you this week, as you're facing with, with the stresses of the day, right? When you're, when you're dealing with your job and how you're going to provide for yourself, remember, you, you can trust him. His steadfast love endures forever. You you write out some of those things that he's done to to save you, to be your deliverer and remind it. When when you're going and you're trying to deal with your family and your kids aren't doing what you want them to do, remember, you can trust God. He's your deliverer. His steadfast love endures forever. When you're struggling with your future and what's going to happen, write it out. He sent his son to save me. His steadfast love endures forever. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are our deliverer. Lord, that we stand amazed that you who created all things, you that are all-powerful, would also care deeply and personally about us, that you would Show your power to us so that we can trust in you. We pray that as we go through this week that we would meditate on you as our deliverer. That we know, we know that you can break the laws of nature. You can send east winds. You can deliver us from big impossible things and from mundane everyday things. We pray, Lord, that as we trust in you, that we would also be able to find our rest and be able to relax and be able to trust that you are our deliverer and your steadfast love endures forever. In Jesus' name, amen. So as you go through this week and you face the stressors and anxiety of your lives, uh, I hope that you would trust in God, the one who cares deeply about you and controls the universe as well. He's big and he's close. Uh, Receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. 
May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his peace.